How many of you have heard of King Arthur? Okay, I've got a little information for you I'm going to read to you. King Arthur, in medieval times, the legendary king, had assembled 12 chivalrous knights to protect the kingdom from evil and harm. Unfortunately, there were two problems within the ranks. Infighting over status and chronic procrastination. So King Arthur approached the wizard Merlin and asked him to fashion a large round table to be used for the assemblage of the knights. This solved one problem because no one, there was no head of the table. So no one was in a place of more importance than anyone else. The round table was called a round tuit. And as the knights ventured further from Camelot, King Arthur had 12 gold medallions made depicting that table or that to it so that the knights would have a reminder of their pledge to never falter. On these medallions were pictured King Arthur and the 12 knights of the round to it. And there's a picture of one of the medallions with all of what I just read you on. All this research came to me courtesy of the original round to it.com, an English company which offers four varieties of original round to its Arthurian, Egyptian, Roman, and contemporary. Now, the round to it you maybe have seen in gift shops. You know what I'm talking about? It's a little disc thing, and it's called a round to it. And you buy them and give them to people so that they will eventually not be able to say that they never got a round to it. And that is what spoke to the procrastination problem. You've got to go ahead and get done it. We, have you done that? I haven't got, been able to do anything because I haven't gotten around to it. Right? Right? It's, that's up... How many of has that ever applied to you? Am I the only guilty party? I have said that to people. I'll get around to it. I haven't gotten around to it, but I'll get around to it. Sharon has heard that from me a, a lot. <laughs> a lot. And too often this happens, we apply this to objects and tasks. But when that happens, the result might be uncomfortable or inconvenient, but honestly, is the not yet cleaned out garage really hurting anyone? Is it really hurting anyone? I mean, it'll be there tomorrow. You can get around to it, right? Well, that's kind of us. That's kind of us. And all of these little phrases were to pop up individually and I was going to read them one at a time. So I'm just going to read them here and you can't see them that well. I'll help with a meal. When I get home and get these groceries unloaded, I can stop and see if they need any help. I thought I sent a card. Oh, I meant to call. Any guilty parties for anything similar to that or one of those things? I'm guilty. I should call. I, I'll give them a call when I get around to it. I'll stop and see them when I get around to it. I, I, meant to, I meant to go, but I never got around to it. That's what happens 
when it happens to people. Relationships suffer. And often our own busyness keeps us from being attentive to others. And we find out that someone needs a hand or someone has suffered a loss or someone is ill. We think all those right things. We think we'll do that. And most of us feel badly when we're reminded about whatever it was because the truth is we didn't step up. We didn't get around to it. We didn't make the call. We didn't extend a hand. We didn't go to the hospital. We don't like funeral homes, and we had stuff to do anyway. Know anybody like that? Sometimes the person in the mirror is exactly like that. And when you understand that and recognize it, you don't feel too good about yourself. At least I don't. I'm not sure what's going to happen next in the slides, but we'll see. Do you remember this song? Diana Ross, Reach Out and Touch, April 1970. Relax. <laughs> Every time I put a date up here, I know there's somebody back there saying, I was three. I wasn't born yet. Well, <laughs> this was a song that Diana Ross recorded. It was her first on her first solo album after she left the Supremes. And the, and the context of this song was a context that resonated with the people that heard it because it was done over and over and over again many times at some pretty key events through the years. And what made it so popular wasn't that it was a great melody or that the music was fabulous. It was because the sentiment in the song spoke to the powerful truth that people need people. We need each other. We need each other. The idea of reaching out and touching someone uh, was also picked up by the Bell Telephone Company. Now, some of you don't have any idea what that is. <laughs> but back in the day, Bell Telephone was the, was the telephone company in the America named for Alexander Graham Bell, the inventor of the phone, and it eventually became AT&T. But they had a commercial. Reach out, reach out and touch someone. Remember that? Yeah, I see a few heads going like this and a few, few people going, this guy is nuts. He's bringing up all this stuff from like the ancient past, the 70s. But what they were trying to do was they were trying to get people to understand that if they could shift their perception of long-distance calling, because when long-distance calling was first available, when you could actually dial directly to someone far away and not have to go through operators, it showed up where? On your bill. And people didn't want to do that. People didn't want to do that. So they tried to shift the perception of long-distance calling away from the bulge in the bill that it would cause to the feelings and the emotions that meaningful relationships have. And in her encouraging that heartfelt communication across the miles, it revolutionized the way that people stayed in touch with each other. You saw people calling their children at college and, 
and talking to their kid brother or sister and and there were there were just some of those things were tear jerkers because they spoke to the importance of family and the importance of relationship i heard something interesting on the radio this week while i was driving <clears throat> when i love lucy came will you stop with the memorabilia no when i love lucy came on television okay People for the first time, I don't know who did this study and figured this out, but for the first time, people abandoned their habit of getting together with friends on Sunday night so that they could stay home and watch the show. Think of that small step away from relationship, away from cultivating friendships, and compare that to where we are today. How many of you live in families where it's hard to have a conversation because people are looking at a phone or at a tablet? Oh, I'm guilt. I'm totally guilty. Totally guilty. Sharon was talking to me yesterday, and she asked me a question, so I texted someone to try to find the answer to the question. And while she was talking to me about something else, the phone buzzed, and I glanced down. And I mean, it was truly a glance, but I saw that it was the answer or it was a response from the person I asked the question to. So I immediately went back to that, and, and I'm going like this, and she said to me, you didn't hear a word I said, did you? Guilty. Guilty. Because I wanted to know the response. I wanted to know what the answer was to a question that was generated by a conversation that she and I had. That didn't matter. She was justifiably mad. Briefly. It was a brief mad, but it was a mad nonetheless. Our noses are in our phones, are in our tablets, or on some kind of screen. And what we see and hear on those electronic windows to the world is far more interesting to us. Far more entertaining, far more informative, and even captivating much more so than building or maintaining relationships. Human conversation requires effort. It requires effort. The screen only requires attention. You don't have to give effort. And the combination of color, sound, action, storytelling, it makes human interaction mundane sometimes, doesn't it? I mean, all you have to do is look at what kids are seeing. We have three grandsons, and when we get over there and their faces are on screens, anytime you say, you can go ahead and get on your screen, it's like magic. Even the four-year-old, even the four-year-old. The truth is that human interaction does require effort, but we were made for relationship. And the call to reach out and touch resonated with people because it spoke to our unrealized need to do that, to connect, to connect. We cannot live day after day passing others like ships in the night without the need for meaningful human interaction crying out to us from somewhere deep within. When we make connections, we position ourselves to make a difference. But our human nature is fallen and broken and selfish. And we value our own comfort, our own interest, and our own agenda more than we value other people. 
Jesus spoke to this when he told the parable of the Good Samaritan. So if you got, have a Bible with you, grab it and open it up to Luke chapter 10. And we're going to revisit this familiar passage. Take a look at, at making a connection to make a difference. And this is a phrase I want you all to remember today. Love is the action of relationships. Love is the action of relationships. Okay, Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. And we'll start reading here. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. Now at the beginning of this passage, Jesus clearly affirms that the answer given is completely correct. Would you agree with that? He, you have answered correctly. Look at it. It's a statement that says, love God completely and love others. There are just two things there. It's a statement that cannot be complied with apart from relationship. Relationship with God and with each other. And love is the action of relationship. Now the question comes to the Lord from someone described in the passage as an expert in the law. The implication is that this person is most likely a Pharisee. Might not be, and we're not told for sure, but he most likely is, because that group of people was so much more concerned with outward appearance than inward character. They were likely looking for opportunities to have others validate their position of importance in the cultural milieu of the day. So he asks Jesus another question. And Jesus answers further. But he wanted to justify himself. We're starting now at verse 29. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Greensburg, or Jericho, when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place, saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarius and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. 
Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Now, it's not by accident that this parable, that in this parable, both a priest and a Levite passed the wounded traveler. Help came neither from the priest or the Levite. Nothing from these pillars of the community. It came rather from someone from a race of people that were not even acknowledged by the Jews. From a race that was considered a group of half-breeds. The Jews did not interact with Samaritans in any way. They would go out of their way not to pass through the land called Samaria. They didn't want anything to do with them. They didn't engage with them in business. They didn't even talk to them. Which makes Jesus' conversation with the Samaritan woman incredibly powerful. Yet even though the culture was one of severe prejudice, note that the expert in the law recognized and acknowledged the truth in Christ's illustration. He does not answer the question, the Samaritan, does he? Rather, he identifies the actions of the Samaritan as expressions of mercy and describes the Samaritan as the one who had mercy on him. See, compassion is just one of the actions of love. And even though Jesus put in the story an individual that a Jewish person would not be willing to even acknowledge, the action of love in this story was compelling enough that the expert had no problem identifying it, recognizing it, and answering Jesus' question with that. I think these constitute a strong statement about what it means to be in relationship with people. And how does that apply to us? So we're going to look at this a little more closely. This illustration of Jesus takes the hearer beyond prejudicial elements, beyond the actual chain of events in the story. There are lessons. There's a reality for us. There's a pretty fair chance that we are not going to be robbed and beaten. Thank goodness. Right? I mean, how many of you were robbed and beaten in the last week? Children, don't put your hands up. I know there'll be a tendency to, to think of that about your family. I was robbed of my allowance and beaten because my room wasn't clean. Well, then shut up and clean your room. <laughs> yeah. The truth is we're not going to be. We're probably not going to be robbed or beaten. But you know what? We are going to be buffeted around by the circumstances of life from time to time. And those circumstances are just as unexpected sometimes as a robbery or a beating is. Or they're expected. It doesn't matter. We find ourselves in need of help. Now, if love is the action of relationship, I want us to consider the actions that the Samaritan took. There are five things 
that he did. The first one was he saw the wounded man. He saw him. He said, well, that's pretty easy. He's laying right there. Well, the word here is the Greek word harao, and it means to see with the eyes and see with the mind. Have you ever walked by somebody or walked past something and not noticed what was going on? Have you ever have you ever driven somewhere and got there and didn't know how you got there? Don't remember seeing anything? Automatic pilot, right? We we don't pay attention. We generally don't know. And you know what's making it worse? GPS. I'm going down, I'm going to go here, I'll get my phone out, put the address in, put it on the dashboard, turn left in one quarter mile. You know? And so we look for the turn, we make the left turn. Have we seen any landmarks? No, we're just looking for that turn. We're just looking for that. You know, it, I used to ask my students, tell me where you live. And this was when I was first teaching. And you should have heard their answers. Well, you go down the road and you turn at the barn and we live back there. Okay. <laughs> but those kids at least paid attention. They knew there was a barn there. They didn't know what the road name was or which direction to go, but they, they saw things. This guy saw this other guy. It registered to him. It registered. We can't go through life and not have our eyes open to the people around us. We can't be content with seeing people and not knowing what's going on in their life. We can't do that for everybody. But just think about this morning in our greeting time. How hard was it for you to go to somebody that you hadn't seen in a while? And for some of you, because you hadn't seen them in a while, wasn't it kind of good to touch base with them, to shake hands, to say, hey, glad you're here. Been missing you. That's not hard to do, but you have to do it. You have to see. You have to see. You can see it for some people. Who are our neighbors? We've got to be taking care of each other, and you've got to know what's going on to do that. You take care of your family. You take care of your church family. You take care of your friends out of church, your co-workers. Your, all of those people are neighbors to you. And they're the people that we're instructed in the Word of God to love. Love God. Love others. Guess what? Others is everybody else. Everybody else. We've got to develop the kind of relationships with people that allow the communication to occur between them one of the great things about 4x4. Four four. You know, I got a chance to, to know Brian and Julie Regal. I mean, I kind of knew who they were before that, but before that, I, I wouldn't have known if I'd have found them dead in my lunchbox. <laughs> I, somebody said big lunchbox. You know, but, but because I got to know who they were and because... Now the campground season is over. We're coming to church again every week. I've been missing them. I've been missing them. Now, was, was I, am I pointing the finger at them? Because they're here today? No. I'm saying that I had a relationship enough 
to take my phone out and text and say, hey, man, I'm missing you. I miss seeing you. And Brian wrote back and said, hey, we got a lot of stuff going on. We just couldn't make it today. I wasn't, I mean, I wasn't holding a, a weapon at him saying, show up or I'll shoot you. You know? But he knew. He knew that, I, that he was missed. Now, if I'd have sent that to Julie, it might have really meant something. But Brian's a guy, so he'd probably say, what the heck? You know? <laughs> the point is, I'm calling those that I believe care about me. And I want them to know that I care about them. And if a storm comes into their life and I know about it, I want to be one of the people that steps up. I want to be one of those folks. Many of us have the notion that our privacy matters so much that we don't want to call anybody and let them in on what's going on. Maybe you're like that. I know people like that. They don't want you to know when they're sick. They don't want you to know when there's been a loss. It's their life. It's their, that's their business. It's their privacy. But you know what? If you have that attitude, you know what you're doing? You're saying, nice to have you as my friend. Don't come too close. You know, why do we not want people coming too close to us? could be a variety of reasons. I'm no psychologist, but I'll tell you this. Unless we let each other in to our lives... We will never see what's going on because we don't know one another. Do you know anybody that's smiling on the outside and dying on the inside? Maybe some of you are. If you don't let people know, who can help you? Well, I don't want any help. I'm fine. I'm, I'll get through this on my own. You might. It might seem to you like you will or that you can. But many hands make light work. And there's comfort in having someone that cares about you enough that you can be real in front of them and they still care about you. Isn't that one of the biggest obstacles for us in coming to God? Because how could He love me? Because you know things about you that other people don't know. I can't tell what you're thinking. You can't tell what I'm thinking. But God knows all that stuff. And you know what? He still loves me. We've got to develop the kind of relationships with people that allow communication between us and them to occur. Independence is the enemy of relationship. We try to teach our kids to become independent. We try to be independent, but we've got to be careful. It's got to be balanced. It's the enemy of relationship, and it's the, for many people, it's the road to isolation. It's the road to isolation. We have to communicate with each other. If we don't, we're never going to know how to love one another. We, we, we don't know what someone needs. We don't know how to come alongside them. We can't help them. We can't support or encourage or minister when we don't know what's going on. And if we're strangers to each other, that's not good. 
Instead, we will live our lives not knowing what's going on and missing opportunities to do the good works that Christ prepared for us from the foundations of the world. That's in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Did you know that? How many of you live with someone who gives you less lists of things to get done? How many of you make your own lists of things to get done? I love the shirt, Calvin and Hobbes. God put me on this earth to accomplish a certain number of things. I'm so far behind, I'll never die. Well, guess what? God has a list for you. He has a list of stuff that He's made up and created you and you alone to step into to, to accomplish. If you don't know Him, you're not going to get that list. And if you do get the list and you do the list, you're going to understand what the word fulfillment means in a whole different way. You're going to understand what purpose means in a whole different way. Because God's going to use you. Not the person beside you, but He's going to use you to take care of someone else in a way that builds His kingdom. That opens a door to healing. That opens a door to restoration. That moves people from where they are one step closer to the Father. And that is what our life should be about. It's what we say we're about, pursuing Jesus, building His kingdom. We've got to pay attention. We can't depend on the Derek. How many of you have figured that out? Can't depend. I used to, there was a period in my life when I called Derek the best source of misinformation that I knew. Now I don't even say that anymore because it's a contest between them and every other media source there is. Nobody's giving you the full story because nobody's God. People are reporting what they think they know. And you know what I say? I know that you believe you understand what you think I said, but I'm not sure you realize that what you heard was not what I meant. <laughs> and that's media today. You have to take it with some grains of salt. You don't know what's happening, but that doesn't stop us from forming opinions and taking stands. You can't depend on the Derek. You can't depend on Facebook. You can't depend on Instagram. You can't depend on the OCCA prayer chain to know when a tragedy strikes. You have to talk. You have to listen. You have to ask. That's how we see. That's how we see. And if we miss the opportunity to do so and find out later, how do you feel when that happens? How do you feel when that happens? Some of us sit back and say, well, you know what? I just didn't know. I didn't know that this happened. I don't get Facebook. I don't read the paper. Nobody called me. And so we just kind of cross our arms and say, hey, I didn't know. And that's our excuse. Does that excuse make the person that experienced that feel any better? Do they care that you didn't know? Maybe a little bit, but that's not stopping their hurting. 
so you missed that particular opportunity, that doesn't mean that your caring has to stop. doesn't mean that your caring has to stop. It means that you can pick up the phone. You can still send a card. You can stop by. You can tell someone that you're sorry because you are sorry for their loss or for their sickness or for not bringing a meal or for whatever it is. And you can tell them that you love them and that you care about them. And doing those things, getting a card in the mail, that's, that's an action. Answering a phone call is an action. You're calling me because you cared about me. You don't, might not be an easy conversation, but it's one that you should still have. One that you should still have. Second thing, and this is what it meant, something like, and not have our eyes open to, we need to pay attention, doing nothing is not loving someone. Say that last thing. Doing nothing is not loving someone. Good. Your pastor reading test. Second thing he did, he had compassion on him. He had compassion on him. The word that Jesus uses here when he says he had pity on him in some translations is the Greek word, splonknisomai. I'm not going to ask you to spell that or, or even say it, but it means to be moved with compassion because you actually feel something about someone because of what they're experiencing. You can have, you can have compassion for someone you don't know. This guy didn't know the fellow that was beaten and left for dead. Samaritan didn't know him. The priest didn't know him. The Levite didn't know him. But the Samaritan had the compassion. You think it's easier to have compassion for someone you don't know or have compassion for someone you do know? You don't have to answer that, but think about it. I'll tell you this. If something happens to one of my kids, I'm going to be feeling it. If something happens to someone I know and care about, I'm feeling it. Having compassion doesn't guarantee that you're going to respond out of that compassion, but it does provide a springboard for motivating us to do something. He took pity on him. He saw him. He took pity on him. Third thing, he went to him. That word means to come to or to draw near, to approach. When you go to someone, you draw near to them. When you're knocking on their door, you're closer to them than you were when you were sitting in the car in their driveway. When you walk over to them, and when you show up at the, in the doorway of their hospital room, you're drawing near. When, you're, when you show up at a funeral home, when you walk over to them at church, being near to some... How many of you felt good when someone came and spoke to you this morning? How many of you felt good about that? Why? Because me going to you and shaking your hand says, I value you. You're important. You matter. You exist. I, I came was on my way back home uh, a couple of weeks ago, maybe a month or so ago, from, um, from being in a funeral home. It seems like I'm in a lot of those these days. I guess that's a product of getting older. And there was a guy across the street. Didn't know him from Adam. I didn't have any idea who he was. Never saw him before. And I just called out to him and I said, um, how you doing? Or have a, you know, how you doing today? And he stopped and looked at me. 
And he said, why, thanks. And I said, you're welcome. He said, no. He said, thanks for acknowledging that I'm a human being. Nobody ever said that to me before. (laughs) I crossed the street, had a conversation with him. Guy was born in Ireland or Scotland or one of those places over there and has that funny accent that you can't help but like. Before it was done, I found out he was the supervisor for the paving project out on Interstate 80. We had a great conversation. About four or five days later, I was heading to Pittsburgh. I got on the on-ramp at St. Petersburg, and there he was with a hard hat on. I'm getting ready to merge. I put the window down, and I said, Hey, good morning. Thanks for acknowledging that I'm a human being. And he looked at me and said, (laughs) and then he went like that now I've never I haven't seen him since his name's John I haven't seen him since but you know what our conversation was a connection and that connection made a difference in his day and it made a difference in mine when you go to someone you're saying that you value them it says you're important to me I'm interested in you you matter one of our alliance core values is Lost people matter to God. He wants them found. If you always keep your distance, you're not saying people matter. You're not saying people matter. You matter. Right? No. No. If you get close, you can see details in people's lives that you miss from a distance. You step back to look at a painting. You can see the big picture. But when you step close, you can see the brush strokes. You can see how the paint was put on, how thick it is. When you look across a room, you can see a person. But when you get close, you can see that that coat that they're wearing is worn a little bit. Maybe threadbare here and there. Or that the wrinkles that are on their face are wrinkles of worry. Or wrinkles of experience. And your relationship opens a door for communication and for connection. You can't put your arms around someone far away. You can't put your arms around someone far away. Skype and FaceTime are great. I love, I love it. They're great interventions. I love looking at my kids when I'm talking to them. We don't do it often, but any time we do, it's really fun. I I just, I love it. But I cannot reach through that screen and fold them into my arms. I can't. We have to go. We have to draw near to each other. We got to reach out and touch. He went to him. Fourth thing, he ministered to him. The Samaritan took steps to attend to the man in ways that mattered. He didn't sit down and interview him. He did not sit down along the side of the road and say, what's your name? Are you hurt? Would it be okay if I helped you out? There wasn't anything like that. He dressed his wounds. He helped him up. He put him on the donkey. He took him to a place where recuperation was possible. In our relationships, we are not always seeing situations where the best ministry actions are so easily discerned. 
I'm probably not going to find you beaten and robbed. Sometimes if there's a need, I'm not going to really know what it is. But you know who knows? God knows. And if I want to help you, I can ask Him. And I can ask for the Holy Spirit. I can pray and listen. And, and if our relationship with God is based on regular communication with Him, then we can call on Him for wisdom. It says that in James. If anybody lacks wisdom, let him ask. And I'll give it to him. We can ask for guidance. And we can expect Him to answer us. Prayer is not the last resort. It's not the last resort. Ever heard anybody say, well, all we can do now is pray. That's the Eeyore mentality. That's not the last resort. That should be our first line of defense, our first line of action. Not just in emergencies, but in every part of life. Jesus went from prayer time to prayer time. And everything in between was supernatural. Everything in between was supernatural. That's why his life was so amazing. And that could be us. Prayer is more than the foundation of our faith walk. It's the root. It's the life-giving root. It's what connects us to God in a way that lets communication happen between the Father and us. It's what opens the perspective of heaven into our mind. You remember uh, uh, when... um, I'm going to try to get this right. The guys lowered the the sick guy down through the roof. Remember that? And uh, Jesus said, what did he say to the sick guy? Your sins are forgiven. Okay? And there were like Pharisees in the crowd. And then the scripture says, They were thinking to themselves. How can this guy forgive sins? And Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, discerned their thoughts and addressed them and said, which is easier? Tell them your sins are forgiven or say get up and walk. Just so you know that I have the authority to forgive sins, get up and walk. And he did. You see, that's what is available to you and I. We come into a situation where somebody needs help. We don't know what to say. So we talk to God first before we talk to that person. And we listen. And he gives us something to say. Have you ever said someone said something to someone and you were surprised at what came out of your mouth? I mean, good, in a good way. <laughs> in a good way. When that happens, you know what's going on? That's the Holy Spirit speaking through you. I mean, there have been dozens of times I have stood up here, prepared a message and spoken, and I'm, and I'm listening to me. I'm saying, whoa. Because it's the power of God that takes the word and impacts your heart with it. He'll tell you what to say. Prayer opens up your minds to understand what the next step should be. And then you can take the action that you need to to make a difference. Pouring on oil and wine, put the man on his horse or donkey, brought him to the inn, took care of him. That's ministry. That's doing something. That's the 
That's the action of loving. That's the action of relationship. Okay, here's the fifth thing. Oh, here, how about this? Another core value. Prayer is, read this with me. Prayer is the, prayer is the primary work of God's people. If we're not praying, we're not putting ourselves in a position to grow. We're not putting ourselves in a position to, to let God do what he, what he knows we need to have done. Anybody have any junk in their heart that needs cleaned out? Anybody have any attitudes in their mind that need adjusted? Anybody have any perspectives that need to be altered? Anybody have a relationship and you just don't know what to do with it? Anybody have a conversation where you just don't know what to say? Prayer is the key for that. Prayer opens that pipeline so that the Spirit can, can help us. Doesn't the Scripture say, don't worry about remembering all this stuff. The Holy Spirit will bring them to your mind. That's why we need to read the Scriptures and, and try to memorize them and think on them and study so that the Spirit of God can bring them to our attention when we need them to encourage us, to correct us, to get us back on track or to allow us to speak love into someone else's situation. Okay, fifth thing. He followed up. He followed up. His pledge to the innkeeper about returning to cover additional expenses, that's a statement of follow-up. He intends, in, in saying that, he intends to see the situation through. His commitment and love toward this wounded one is complete. It is not partial. Does that make sense to you? Can you see that? Well, guess what? God's love toward you and toward me is complete and not partial. Scripture is rife with references that tell us that. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with you, with what you have, because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Now, if I say that, you can say to yourself, yeah, right. And unfortunately, you might be right. Because the last thing the enemy of God wants is for us to interact with each other in a helpful way. He, the last thing he wants is for us to love one another. So all he has to do is get me to say to you, hey, I'll, I'll come over and help you do that. And then he finds a way to insert something else into my life so that I end up picking the phone up and saying, I'm not going to make it on time. Or I'll send a text. And then the next text says, I I'm still tied up, but I'm going to try to make it. And the next thing you know, that window of opportunity has passed. And I haven't done it. And you know what you're thinking? The next time I say I'll come and help? Yeah, right. But this is God we're talking about. And when He says... I will never leave you. Never will I forsake you. He means it. He's serious. 
You can take it to the bank. Deuteronomy 31. Don't be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Joshua chapter 1. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. God is committed to finishing the good work He has begun in us. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6. Being confident of this, that He who began a good work in you. Who are we talking about there? Who's the He? God, God, who began a good work in you, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. What did Jesus say in the Great Commission? What did he say? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. I'm in charge of everything. So go. Go and make disciples and baptize people and tell them the good news. And I, he didn't say, I will be with you. He says, I am with you. Always. Even to the end of the age. When we build relationships where love is the action, our interaction within those relationships, doesn't stop until the relationship undergoes a change that causes it to stop. People do move away. You can have a really close friend and they get a job in Greensburg or Jericho or or somewhere else and they move away. Relationships do drift apart. Don't they? Life has ebbs and flows. But you can still call. You can still ask how things are going. You can still meet for coffee sometimes. Or check in. You can text. You can Snapchat. When you do something to keep the lines of communication in a relationship going, you're keeping the relationship alive. And you can be confident of God's commitment to you and keep your relationship with Him alive. And then extend your commitment to others knowing that God supports the interaction of love. God supports the interaction of love. Love is the action of relationship. You make a connection to make a difference. The actions of loving each other are crucial, critical to the health of the church, and critical to the effectiveness of its outreach. That's what Reach Out and Touch Someone's campaign did. It it spurred people to connect. That's what Diana Ross's song, Reach Out and Touch, was calling people to do. Make a connection to make a difference. Don't get so caught up in your own life and in your own business that your relationships with others are largely defined by good intentions and never getting around to it. 
James chapter 1, verse 22 says this. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Jesus said this in John chapter 15. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 12, it says, May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. And in chapter 4, verse 9 of that same book, Paul writes, Now about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And then in the next chapter, Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. Exhortations, reminders, prods for us to do that. 1 Peter chapter 1, 22. Now that you have purified yourself by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. And in 1 John chapter 3, 14, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Finally, Jesus' own words in Matthew chapter 25. For I was hungry... And you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Those are actions of love that can't happen if you don't make a connection. But if you have a connection, and you put that action of love into it, you will make a difference you will make a difference and that's what Jesus tried to teach the disciples and that's what he commissioned them to do and that's what he's commissioning us to do ask yourself today who, who can I touch base with who needs a call who needs to know that I miss them who do I need to reach out and touch? Who, who should I visit? There's a place on your bulletin insert for you to think of those names and just jot them down. And then write down in the response thing, what are you going to do? Not what do you intend to do, but what are you going to do? I wanted to buy round two it's for everybody, but they were too expensive. <laughs> So consider yourself receiving a round to it. And whatever the Holy Spirit leads you to do in that response thing for the people that you list, make it happen. Extend love. Make a connection and make a difference. And ask the worship team to come back. And I'm going to ask, give us just a minute or two, and I really seriously want you to do this and fill this paper out. You don't have to turn it in, but I want you to do it. I want you to put something down on that paper so that you are going to be promising yourself about how 
this is going to work for you this week. I'll just ask these guys and gals to just play some soft music before we start singing our closing song. As you're, as you're thinking. Listen to what God, where is he directing you? Put that down so you have a reminder. <laughs> 